What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First On Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Saturday, January 21st. We promised you guys an episode this weekend, and here it is. I'm pretty surprised that it's happening, but I've had a kind of a busy weekend so far. But I'm, uh, I was, I was excited to get this episode out because we have been talking about football for the past couple weeks, maybe even three weeks. But we want to get some NBA talk and some college basketball talk in here, and that's that's what we're here to do today because there are, well, there is the full slate of NFL games still ready to be played today and tomorrow. So. We're not going to talk about NFL at all today or any kind of football because, right, we're going to talk about that on Monday or Tuesday when we come back, come out with our next episode. So we'll save that for then. But, of course, today we're going to talk some college basketball, some NBA, and then we've got a little bit of uh, ESPN notification nonsense segment at the end, which we've I think we've promised you guys to have one for a couple episodes now, and we have kind of just pushed it back every time because we've gone over time um, and we haven't had time for it at the end of our our latest episodes so that's what we've got on the plate for today i've got matt on the other end here matt how are you yeah finally getting the chance to to do not only do a second episode during the week but also to talk about other sports other than football because i mean it's been crazy obviously with you know the kind of the end to the regular season for both nfl and college football as well as you know all the college bowl games the college football playoff the college football championship um you know a ton of ton of stuff to go over there but then also obviously with the nfl and the end of the nfl season the beginning of the nfl playoffs the first round of the nfl playoffs so there has been a, a ton of football and obviously all of our listeners have been watching you know the, has have been watching the football so um i think it's a good chance to kind of get, get a little reset here realize that other sports are going on uh talk about those sports that are going on we're kind of a, we're kind of at a midway point i think for both at least the college basketball season and the and season so kind of kind of a good point to check in here just you know see how things are rolling uh we'll do kind of uh we we have i I think i would think kind of more of a specific topic uh section for the nba might mention a couple teams that are surprising some teams that are disappointing um but that kind of has to do with one of the topics that we have set up and then for college basketball just kind of a general state of play right we haven't really had a section i think i talked about college basketball in one of my solo episodes like when when it first started um and so we didn't didn't really have any games uh to 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 kind of even look at and analyze from that point so now we do have a good chance to kind of sit you know sit here look at okay you know we're we're, we're two months in we're two and a half months in we only have two two months until march madness starts where are we looking for the teams that are ranked towards the top maybe the teams that are not you know still ranked within top 25 but but you know a little bit maybe overrated underrated point of view on some of the uh you know just kind of a general landscape of 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 the teams that are obviously you know kind of still in contention whatever and and obviously we're we're two recording this at 2 p.m on a saturday um which is kind of in the middle of when all these games are going on so by the time we're done with the podcast some crazy something you know some something crazy might have happened and 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 all of this would be for not anyway, but um, obviously there, a lot has already happened and, and I've kind of really gotten into college basketball the last, last week or so, obviously less NFL prep left, less NFL to in college football to kind of watch and keep track of. And now that we're getting closer to March, it, you know, college basketball is heating up too. And it's, it's on ESPN and all the major channels throughout the week. So um, definitely, I think a good chance to just kind of check in, get everybody up to speed with what's going on. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that was perfectly said by Matt. And with that being said, we'll move right into the NBA first. So 
Our first topic here is about a huge problem that we've had with the NBA for a really long time. And this is a problem that Matt and I have with watching the NBA regular season. Both of us just have never really been able to get fully into watching the NBA regular season. I think a lot of people kind of struggle with that just because it, it doesn't a lot of the games. Well, it, it's hard to keep up with all the games because they, they're they played every single day. So it's like, you know, teams are playing basically every other day or every three days. And so it's really hard to, to, to keep up with teams that aren't your favorite team because nobody really watches NBA all night, every night. So it's a little bit hard to keep up with it in that sense. But there's also the aspect of like, well, it looks like these guys half the time aren't even really trying in the regular season. We also have a, to- a second topic on the NBA about sitting good players. So like, that's also something that kind of pushes people away when is when so a, a team, you know, isn't really starting their good players or they're not playing their good players for whatever reason, whether they're hurt or not really hurt. It, it's just kind of a crapshoot in the, in, in the NBA regular season. And so I think a lot of people kind of struggle with watching during the regular season, but I think what, has angered me most over the past few years of trying to get into the NBA is a lack of defense. And this season it's, it's actually gone pretty out of hand. Um, we're only, we're only a few games past the halfway point of the season. And there's already been 12 different players that have had 50 point or more games. So I'm going to give a, give a little list of them here. We've got Joel Embiid, Darius Garland, Steph Curry, Devin Booker, Anthony Davis, Pascal Siakam, Luka Doncic, Clay Thompson, Donovan Mitchell, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Damian Lillard, and Jason Tatum. So that's twelve right there. And Luka had Luka's had three, which he's kind of dominating. I think Joel Embiid's had two, and then Devin Booker's also had two over fifty point games. But we've had twelve different players score fifty or more points this season, and we're only a little bit of halfway or past the halfway point in the season, which is is pretty unheard of. I mean, we've had we've had players in the past that that have multiple 50 point games in a season but i would say that in the past again i don't know exact numbers but i would say in the past halfway through like last season there was probably only maybe maybe half of 12 so um 12 players that have had you know that that had 50 point or more games so i don't know that's just that that was a stat that kind of jumped out at me when i was reading about the nba um a couple weeks ago and so right is it well because a lot of people try to compare you know LeBron and and MJ and like just player current players to past players but the whole argument just comes down to okay well you know there's no defense nowadays and there was defense back then but what I'm going to post them at here is like is it even is it way too far-fetched to try to compare players in this era to players in, la- in the last era or if you have any kind of general comments on how much scoring there is today then you can give that too but I mean I, th- I think teams right now are averaging like a hundred like 115 points a game which is unheard i mean in the 90s it was like 96 i mean it, it was it was very very much lower than than what it is today so just give your general comments or you can try to you know you know touch on the whole discussion of past players compared to current players whatever yeah i mean i'll, I'll probably go general to specific and so first obviously the the reason for all of this is that Offense is king. Offense makes you makes the plays. Offense shows off the skills and abilities of these players who are playing the games, right? And so I think that and and this starts all the way at a very young age at the AAU level, where you know if you're able to cross people up, if you're able to sink threes at a forty percent clip, that's what gets you on the map. That's what gets you popular. That's what gets you recruited by by colleges, by other you know semi pro teams, overseas, whatever it may be. And and so I think that 
the, the offensive skill level of the entire league has increased so much. And to a point where if the best offensive players are getting recruited in college and the best offensive players are you know playing in AAU and, and, and semi-pro leagues and whatever, those are the players that are going to get drafted. And if you're building an NBA team, you want players who can score points, who can make shots, whether that be, you know, consistently making three pointers, consistently making, you know, high percentage shots, like close to the basket dunks and and, and whatever it may be um, to that effect. But then also, if you think about too, in the, in the clutch, right, we saw last, uh, you know, last year in the NBA finals, the Warriors and the, and the Celtics played and the Warriors dominated, right? And it was because they made shots in the clutch when they had to do that. And I think that that's a huge part of the game now is just being able to being able to make shots. And I think that the Warriors did in their run there with Steph Curry and 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 you know Draymond Green and, and Clay Thompson, and then obviously they added Kevin Durant. They really changed the sport. I do think that that you know that whole Warriors run revolutionized basketball forever because it, it turned a what was a, a brutal and you know and, and hard nosed and tough and and you know, bodies bouncing and you're getting hurt, you're falling on the floor, all that, what that the game used to be, it used to be that right now. It's just, it's more of a finesse game. And and I don't really care either way. I'm not saying that either way is, is better or worse. I just think that's the reality of the situation, right? That that's what, that's what we get now because of the, the playmaking and, and the media coverage. And that too, I think has a big part of it, right? Social media, TV coverage, media, like, I just I think the media has gotten so much bigger. There's been more exposure to these players. There's been more access than ever before. And so because of that, what we have is a result of, hey, if, if people are going to see you a lot more dunking or or making a bunch of threes or doing whatever, then then, hey, you know, that that's a better chance that you might be, get recruited. That's a better chance that you might get drafted. And as a result of that, you know, your your offensive capabilities are going to be a lot higher. Uh, and, and I think that that just goes across for and it's like once that kind of, you know, that little microcosm of getting noticed for being a very potent offensive player, once that kind of gets to, OK, well, that'll help you get recruited by colleges. It ends up being the same thing in college. The best offensive players, the you know the, the the Trey Youngs of the world, who kind of were just at Oklahoma, didn't really have a great run at the NCAA tournament, whatever. Ben Simmons had the same deal at LSU, didn't even make the tournament. They're amazing offensive. Well, Ben Simmons is a defensive first player, but I mean, you know, his ball handling, his assist uh, abilities, and everything like that is what put him on the map. And so, you know, those offensive abilities are what get you noticed to get then to the next level of the NBA. And I think that just it kind of is just a domino effect, right? So. Generally, I think that's been the mindset of colleges and then NBA franchises who are going to pick the players that they want to play for their teams. And obviously the best offensive players are going to, you know, control your team. They're going to, they're going to have the most points in their team. You're going to, you're going to be successful as an organization based off of their offensive performance. And so along with all of that has kind of become the, the, I guess the loss of a defensive minded, you know, mindset in the NBA or, or, just the way that people think the way that people construct their teams and, and has it really impacted things that much in terms of like the best players on the best teams winning the championships? I don't think so right now. The other thing too, is that we're talking about the regular season here. Once we get to the playoffs, those games are way lower scoring because it is life or death at that point. It is, you know, you're losing, you're out, or, you know, you have to gain momentum in a series. If you're down Oh two, going back to your home place, you have to win those games. And so you're going to clamp down on defense. You're going to have more time to, because you have a seven game series, you're only analyzing that one team for that two week span for the course of when you're going to be playing them. So I think that that also, 
you know, an 82 game regular season is really a grind at the end of the day. And, and Steve Kerr has, has actually come out and said, as one of the guy, one of the coaches who is resting his players the most, is coming out and saying we need to have 72 games or just you know shorten the shorten the regular season first by something just so that we can have some sort of break, right? Some sort of measure by which we can say, okay, this is you know. We can do the regular season. We can have a standings based on who wins and who loses, you know, the most amount of games. But at the end of the day, like 82 games is, is too much for a lot of these teams um, and a lot of these games to be, to be playing. And, and, I, and I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying that that's kind of the mindset of what these coaches are doing. And so I think that because of that kind of those two big biggest ideas of right offense generates notice, it generates social media in involvement it generates media just tv coverage everything like that well then you know colleges are going to want to have those players in their teams and then because the colleges are good and they're scoring a ton the nba player or the nba teams are going to want those those players who score the most points to be on their team and that just kind of is a domino effect that reverberates and then and on top of that if you're going through a regular season with 82 games and you don't really want to play that much i, I guess the discretionary effort in a, in a basketball game is going to be on defense Everybody can shoot a basketball. Everybody can run a play. Everybody can make a layup and or, and make a dunk. And and you want to do that, right? Because that's kind of that's going to get you noticed on social media. That's going to get you noticed on TV for the top ten plays or whatever it may be. Defense doesn't really get noticed very much, right? Especially in basketball, because the same players that are playing offense are then turning around to play defense. So because of that, it, it just it, it, because the regular season is such a grind, defense just doesn't really have as much a priority in this game today. And again, I don't really think it's that bad I don't I don't really prefer either way I, I think these guys are ultra talented and I love to watch them play regardless so for me it's not really a you know we'll we have to choose sides here like for me it just kind of is okay cool like I, I love watching basketball and that's what I'm going to do and and the things that these players are able to do are unlike any other area of basketball so that gets to Hayden's question of you know was it better back then or what is it better now is it was it harder to play back then or, or is it harder now I, I think like just from a scientific mathematic perspective, there's more people in the world today than there were before. Right. And so if it, if, if you're making it to the NBA in today's world, you're competing again, because too, you know, salaries have gone up. You can make exponentially more money in the NBA today and NFL, right. Any, any real professional sport than you would, you know, 30 years ago as a percentage of, you know, the average salary that, that someone would be making outside of, a, you know, the sporting industry. And so I think that because of that, it's just gotten so much more competitive that there's so many more people that are trying to compete to be playing in these leagues, to be playing in college, whatever, you know, whatever level of basketball it is, there's just so many more people that are, that are going to be gunning for those spots. So I do think that if you're making it to the NBA in today's game, you are the best of the best and, and you're better than what the competition was, you know, however long ago, because there are just so many more people that you have to be better than that. You have to prove that you are better than throughout the course of your, your basketball career to get to those levels, you know, than 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 it was a little while ago when, you know, the old joke is like, you know, Michael Jordan, well, Michael Jordan, I think basketball was, was big enough back then, but you know, guys like, you know, Larry bird and, 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 uh, Jerry, I'm forgetting this, Jerry West and those guys, like they played against plumbers, right? That's the old joke. That's what people say. They because because essentially you had a you had a full-time job and then playing in the NBA was your part-time job because you just weren't that, you know, you weren't you weren't as great. So I think that, you know, that's an argument that's made. Again, I'm not saying that I'm agreeing with either side. I think that I can see the arguments for both sides, but that at least to me at least hopefully explains why the scoring in the NBA this these days are is so much higher than it was. And to a certain extent, you know. I like watching college basketball more than I like watching NBA basketball because college basketball, I think is really, you know, 
they're not there doing their job. They're there to, you know, they are, they are playing for the love of the game. A lot of these kids know that they're not going to be go to the NBA. And a lot of these kids know that they're not going to even make it anywhere professionally, whether that be overseas or otherwise. And so they're really playing because they love to play basketball. Whereas in the NBA, it's, you know, great. I, I am one of the best players in the world at this game, but honestly, I'm making $30 million a year to do so. And so, to a certain extent, is, is the love of the game really still in it for them? You know, obviously, right. Everybody wants to win in basketball. Everybody wants to win, uh, you know, and 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 win championships and and prove that they are the best and whatever. But at the same time, you know, it. I think at some point along along the way, it gets lost a little bit, especially when you have such a grind of an eighty-two game regular season that. I, I can totally understand that being in their position, they don't want to play defense. I get that, you know, um, but is it a good product that you're putting on for the fans who are not only watching the games on TV, but also the people who pay, you know, pay money to go see the games in real life. So those are kind of my thoughts on, on, I guess, at least the the scoring and how things have gotten just kind of crazy on that sense. Hayden, if you have anything else on that, definitely, definitely share it. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was just going to mention Luca because a lot of people are, I, I see on Instagram a lot. I mean, I get a lot of, my content, like my basketball content off of Instagram. I don't go on Twitter that much, but when I do, obviously I, I try to look at NBA stuff because it's all over. But when, when I'm scrolling through Instagram a lot, I follow, I mean, I follow ESPN and like I sometimes see NBA ESPN posts on Instagram and a lot of the stuff that they post about Luca. I just, I love going to the comments because it's people just have like battles in the comments about, about how good Luca is and how, you know, how he should kind of be ranked on, on a level of like, okay, well, is he, is he going to be one of the greatest ever or not? Because like he has all these crazy offensive stat lines. And I mean, he's, he's one of the best offensive players in the league in terms of just efficiency, you know, scoring, passing the ball, getting assists, getting rebounds, everything like that. But then on the same token, he like doesn't play defense. Right. And so people ding him for that a lot. And I think Lucas probably like the most indicative player of this, of this era of, of NBA basketball. And I think it, he's almost an, an exaggeration because you see guys like Steph Curry who in the past, like guys like Steph Curry have been criticized for scoring so many points and being so good on offense, but then not really putting up much effort on defense. But again, like Matt said, that's, I mean, that's how teams win now. So it's like, you don't, I mean, you don't have to play defense and you can let the other team score, but if you're better at scoring, then you're going to win the game. Right. And so I know that that sounds superficial, but that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of what the thought process here is for the NBA. And I think Matt explained it really well. And he, in saying that we're seeing more college games being high scoring. I mean, I, I go to UVA where UVA scores like 19 points in the first half and then, you know, 31 points in the second half. And so they end up with 50 points in the game. But I mean, that's, that's kind of an anomaly in, in, in college basketball at this point, a lot of times you're seeing scores up there in like the high eighties, even sometimes in the nineties, which, is you didn't really see much of, you know, before in, in past years. And so we're seeing more of that in college. I think Matt did a great job of pointing out how that's kind of translating to the NBA, at least with, with kind of players mentality coming into the NBA and, and where, what they know is going to, is going to attract the fans, which is the offense, right? Nobody really wants to see, like everybody watches football and says, well, you know, I want to see scoring. I don't want to see a bunch of defense while it is cool to see one or two cool, you know, defensive plays or like, pass breakups or whatever like that. I think it's kind of the same thing with basketball. You'd rather see John Morant drive to the paint and absolutely yam on somebody, or you'd rather see Steph Curry pull up from behind the, you know, behind the half court line, like he did the other day and, and swish that right before halftime. So you'd rather see stuff like that than you, than a block by Jared Allen. But you know, it's, it's, I, I think it's just kind of 
it's one of those things that annoys me about the NBA. But like Matt said, it's, I mean, it's it's the nature of the game now and you can't really change anything about it. And right at the end of the day, you would like to see a lot of offense, but it just kind of it just kind of confuses things in terms of, of like the grand scheme of the sport, in my opinion. And so that I think that's kind of where I was trying to go with this topic is like, you know, I, I think a lot of people kind of have a problem with it, but it does attract more fans, I guess. You just don't really have as big of a pool of NBA fans than you do. Uh, than you do, you know, NFL fans or, or or whatnot. And I think that college basketball pool of fans is becoming is becoming a lot bigger as well. So I'm going to hand it off to Matt to kind of introduce this next NBA topic about uh, something that he already mentioned a little bit when he was talking, which is sitting NBA, which is the NBA teams, uh, the good teams kind of sitting their players, whether it's for injury, whether it's not really for injury, and then that kind of affecting playoff seating. And then we're also going to talk about just how the nature of the playoff seating in general affects how the playoffs will be, will be played out in May or whenever they start. Yeah. So resting players has been kind of a hot topic with the last, really in the last few years, I would say that, and maybe even before that, I, I would say that kind of when the Spurs were still really good, right. With, with Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, all those guys, um, Manny Ginobili, and then obviously Kawhi Leonard, when he was on the team and, and he won the NBA, uh, NBA finals MVP when they won, I think back in 2014, whenever it was because they had kind of an older team, but obviously Greg Popovich knew that they would still be able to make the playoffs every year. And he, I think started to realize, Hey, these, this regular season is so long. This regular season is so taxing. There's only more of a chance for my guys who are a little bit older to a get hurt or B just like have more wear and tear that they just don't really deserve to have. Right. So he actually started resting players, essentially, you know, benching them or not letting them play in the games and during the regular season, only, you know, certain ones and, and whatever, I think, you know, he picked the spots and whatever, they'd still get to playoffs and they'd, they'd make a good run. Right. But and because this team, the team was so talented, the games that he did rest the players in, it didn't really matter that much because they still were, you know, getting the higher seeds and, and, and whatever it may be. So that I think is where this, this whole resting players thing started. And again, the idea is so that your best players aren't worn out and it's less of a chance for your best players to get to get hurt during the games and, and potentially, you know, have a, have a really serious injury in which they might miss the rest of the season, because at the end of the day, you know, the goal is to win the championship, but you have an 82 game regular, regular season, anything can happen on any given night. And one of your star players can be gone and, and there goes the rest of your season. Right. So mitigating the opportunities for those players to get hurt, that really seems like a great idea, especially when you know that because the rest of your players on your team are good enough to hold up by themselves and still get you those wins to be able to make it to the playoffs. That's, that's even better. Right. Because then you're, 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 you're limiting your risk on the, on the side of your players, you know, your, your great players getting hurt, but you're also, you know, spreading the love around, getting those younger players a chance to play when, you know, in the finals or wherever you're at in the playoffs, you know, they might need those minutes and they might need that experience to be able to play at a higher level, uh, you know, that, that, that would help you get further in the playoffs, potentially to a championship level, um, you know, standing. So it's gotten worse though. Okay. The whole resting players thing. I think that's, that's the, that's, the um you know the, the the conclusion that we've been able to draw here is the fact that a lot of teams are doing it now and i think that i mean not not every team but you know for, for the most part i think the lakers started doing it a lot um with well i think anthony davis was actually hurt but um you know he, he didn't play a lot of the games lebron has gotten hurt over the past couple of years and he stopped playing games and i think that a lot of this stuff starts with injury and you know okay right if you sprain your ankle you're gonna be out two weeks 
sometimes, you know, the, the teams will, because of this, you know, extra added rest uh, component on top of it, they might keep their players out a couple more weeks or a couple more games or whatever it may be to just kind of have that extra, okay, well, you know, we, we don't want to rush you back. We don't want to either further injure whatever injury that you did suffer, but we also don't want to, you know, put you out there for on every single game that you could possibly play, because, you know, maybe when you get to the playoffs, you might be out of it. You're right. You might be completely worn out from, from that playing that taxing uh, season there. So again, like I said, I don't think every team is doing it, but I think that the teams that are, they're kind of a little bit more obviously doing it this year are the Suns and the Warriors. And obviously, as we know, the Warriors won the championship last year, right? So a great team, great overall caliber team. And the Suns got to the NBA finals and were up 2-0 against the Bucks two years ago, right? So essentially, and you know, let's let's say the Suns win that championship. You know, you have your two past NBA, well, I guess we could say it this way. The two reigning NBA Western Conference champions are both essentially way far down in the rankings compared to where we thought that they would be, right? So the Sun, there's Warriors right now, they're sitting at the sixth seed, but they've actually, I think they've been on a on a six or seven game winning streak. Um, actually they just lost their last game, but they've, they're, they're eight and two in their last 10 games, uh, at the moment that we're, that we're talking right here. And they were down at the 10 seed, nine, 10 seed area. They're up now up to the sixth seed, but the team that is at the 10 seed is those sons. Right. So, and you think about, okay, well, you know, what's the reason for this? Well, realistically, I mean, Steph Curry, I think has played a lot of the games. He's, he's been sat for, for a couple of them. Um, but obviously Clay Thompson was still coming back from his injury. You know, they've rested him a lot. Steph Curry, they've rested, obviously they've rested him a lot. Um, Draymond Green is, is, is older and is not, you know, I think participating as much to their success as he was, you know, prior, but he's, you know, he's sitting a lot of the games out now. Um, and particularly on road games, I think that that's kind of been the, the overall story here is that whenever the, the Warriors road record is horrible there, I mean, they're like, I, I don't, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Um, actually I do. <laughs> Cause I have it pulled up cause I'm looking at it. Um, so the Warriors on the road are six and 18, which is horrible. And I think that that's kind of the, the, the mentality though, is what Steve Kerr is saying is like, Hey, for our home games, we'll be there. We'll have the players playing and the guy, you know, the people who have the season tickets to the Warriors, they want to see the players play every night. We're going to give that to them. Right. But on the road, it doesn't really matter. It's harder to play on the road to begin with. You're traveling. You got all this other stuff going on. You know, we don't want our best players playing on the road. And so they've essentially sat their best players from most of their road games, which leads to, you know, their horrible road record and, 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 you know, realistically why they're so far down in the standings right now. The Suns are a little bit different. They actually have had injuries. Chris Paul's gotten hurt. Well, he was hurt last, all of last playoffs uh, and then has essentially, you know, not played really at all for this season. Devin Booker had a great start to the season. Hayden mentioned it in the beginning where, you know, he had a 50 point game. I think it was a 60, 61 or something like that um, earlier in the season. So he, he, you know, he was starting off really hot. And I think, I still think Devin Booker is one of the 10 best players in the NBA. You know, I think he just, with all the craziness that's going on with the Suns, like he's gotten a lot more, you know, attention now, but I think he has been ever since he entered the league, but he's, you know, he suffered an injury and it's been like, okay, well, is he actually this hurt to where he could be out for the last two months or, you know, can we, can we kind of get him back now? I, again, I don't know. And I'm not around the team and I'm not the doctor for the team. So I have no clue on whether or not he's actually this hurt, but I would say that, you know, for the most part, right. If I was the, you know, if I was Monty Williams, the coach of the Suns, I'd be thinking, Hey, if our two best players are out, it, it like I would much rather you know win the games that we that we know we're gonna win and and you know we'll be okay because at the realistically 10 out of the 15 games or 10 out of the 15 teams in each conference are gonna have a shot to make the playoffs here. All we need to do is kind of just be sitting around that 10 spot. If we get our best players back for the playoffs, we know that the team is good enough to make a run into the playoffs. So realistically, as long as we get in, as long as we have a chance, even if you're in the play-in tournament, which I'll kind of get to in a second here then you have a chance to make a deep run in the playoffs, right? So I think that that's kind of what I 
these with the mindset of um, these these you know these teams that have great rosters that have had much you know a ton of success in the playoffs, especially over the last couple of years it seems like they're kind of resting their players and, and, you know, to a certain extent, I think that the Suns are probably, well, I think the Warriors are probably more, uh, more guilty of this than the Suns are because they, I think they're kind of blatantly doing it. Whereas the Suns are like, okay, our guys are hurt, you know, legitimately hurt. How hurt, how long would it be till they're actually hundred percent healthy again? We don't really know. And they're not going to, they're not going to tell us because they want us to think that the guys are hurt. Right. But what this leads to, though, is the fact that these teams are still going to make the playoffs because their rosters are so good. They've had so much playoff success in the you know in, in recent years. You're, and so you're sitting here thinking, you're looking at the stands, and you're like, oh my god, the Suns are going to make the playoffs. The Warriors are they're horrible on the road. If that continues, they might not make the playoffs. Believe me, both of those teams are going to make the playoffs, right? They're going to make sure of it because they know the rosters are so good and they know that they've had so much success in the playoffs recently. So that's where the argument comes in, or where not the argument, but the the interesting part of this comes in is. These teams are still going to make the playoffs, but they're not going to be at the top of the Western Conference like they have been, especially the last couple of years or so, right? And that's where it gets interesting because you're thinking now with the Nuggets and the Grizzlies who have kind of come out of nowhere, well, not come out of nowhere, but I I think really, you know, nobody thought that they'd be this good at this point in, you know, 2023 or, you know, whatever we're talking about here. Um, But the teams are playing so well. I mean, the Nuggets are 33 and 13. The Grizzlies are 31 and 14. The Grizzlies have, well, they won. 11 in a row and they lost to the Lakers in a crazy game last night with the Shannon Sharp thing. If anybody guys, uh, if anybody saw that on, you know, going around the internet yesterday, but those teams are playing so well and they're so talented and they are, you know, they are so good, but now they're in a situation where, Hey, if the Suns make the plan, the plan tournament at like the nine or this, you know, nine or seed or whatever. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. Like, you know, we can win two games against these inferior opponents, like the Timberwolves and the jazz and teams that are kind of falling off at this point. Hey, we, all we need to do is just win two games. They get into the playoffs as the eight seed and they're playing the Nuggets. And that's a very much a situation where I could see the Suns beating the Nuggets in the first round of playoffs as an eight seed over a one seed, right? Like that you, you, that's great. That's only happened, I think, once or twice ever in the history of the league where an eight seed is upset a one seed. But if we get into the playoffs, I think the Suns are favored to beat the Nuggets. I mean, you know, maybe not because obviously Jokic is, is, is probably going to win MVP for the third year in a row. Um, he's amazing. You have Jamal Murray. You have Michael Porter Jr. These guys are all playing now, right? So Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. have been hurt for the last couple of years. Aaron Gordon, kind of a nobody in Orlando, comes to comes to Denver, and now he's, he's balling out, right? So um, obviously, and I think Jokic is at the center of that, and he's getting everybody uh, involved, and, and, and really the team kind of revolves around him. But I could see the Suns winning. I could see, I mean, the Suns have a great team still. You still have DeAndre Ayton. You still have, you know, Jay Crowder, all these guys who who made a championship run just two years ago. The Nuggets don't have that in them. So the Suns have proven it. I would take the Suns to beat the, the Nuggets at full health, full capacity in the in a first round playoff, you know, series if that was to happen. So I think that's the interesting part about this is, you know, okay, it's, it's fine to rest your guys, but it honestly it might cause more i guess not more trouble but just i think more i guess an unfair advantage for them as opposed to a team that gets really disadvantaged here like the nuggets like the grizzlies who are playing their butts off and they're winning all their games and they're the number one you know clear number one and two seeds in the western conference they're six games ahead of the kings and the pelicans who are who are third and fourth those teams really deserve to be the one and two seeds right they deserve to be have the you know the home court advantage throughout the playoffs and 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 you know the kind of the play the easier teams the four or five seed matchup in the second round of playoffs all that 
but they might be faced with teams who are tanking essentially not tanking, but you know, well tanking for a playoff spot, um, but resting their guys on purpose when they know they have a stacked roster. And then, you know, you face up against the Warriors and the, or the, the Grizzlies and the, and the Nuggets who have really been disadvantaged at this point and, and might lose in the first round of the playoffs, despite all the work and all the hard, uh, you know, the hard work and, and, and success that they've had throughout the regular season. So um, I just think it's an interesting concept and, and the whole resting players thing. Again, I understand it. It's a long season. I don't play NBA basketball. I don't coach NBA basketball. So I can't say either way, whether, you know, which I prefer, obviously if I'm going to these, I also don't go to the game. So if I go to these games, I want to see the players play. I, I don't agree that that, you know, if, if you're spending your hard earned money on, on trying to see, you know, Steph Curry on a road game and then turns out he just doesn't play because he doesn't want to, or because the team's holding him out. I, I think that's, you're kind of getting gypped on that. Right. But it will be interesting to see what happens with these teams who are kind of resting their players knowing that they'll get into the playoffs, knowing that they can make a deep playoff run, regardless of what seed they are versus the teams who've been trying their butts off for the whole season, working so hard and having so much success and winning all their games during the regular season to where it doesn't even really matter at that point. I think that will kind of start to spark the conversation of does the NBA season really matter or the regular season really matter that much? Does it have to be as long as it is? And it'll be interesting to see maybe, you know, maybe they can kind of change the way that the things work in in the NBA. So Hayden, what do you got on that subject? It's it's, it's really interesting. I think, what do you got? Yeah. Well, I I think the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about that kind of stuff is I think the Nets and the Celtics last year. So the Celtics were the two seed and the Nets were the seven seed. And I'm, I'm almost positive. I like, I can't remember if Kyrie was hurt hurt for a lot of the season or what, or like, or if they just sat him, I think they sat Kevin Durant a lot towards the, towards the end of the season, last season, the Nets did. And so they ended up getting the seven seed um, and they were one of the play or like one of the play in teams. And they, so they got the seven seed there. Yeah. So they were going up against the Celtics in the first round. And I think that a lot of people, well, I know I had the Nets moving on and obviously they got swept by the Celtics. So, they were, I think they just had a really bad series. They, they were not themselves, Kyrie and Kevin Durant in that series. And so I, th- I think that it just kind of got jumbled up in that, in that sense. But I think that a lot of people before that series were looking at that series and basically just saying, okay, well, this is a first round series between the Celtics and the Nets and whoever comes out of this series could win the East. Right. And if people were saying if, you know, if, if the Nets are able to eat, to beat the Celtics, as the seven seed, they could for sure go on to win the East. And so I think that was a pretty good example of what we're talking about now happening last year. And like Matt said, with his example of the Nuggets and the, and the Suns, you could see that again this year where you're looking at a, you know, a first round matchup between a top seed and a low seed or, you know, a bottom seed. And then you're looking at that matchup and saying, okay, well, I could definitely see the eight seed winning here. So I think that, I think a, a pretty good example was that, Net Celtics series last year um, in the first round of the playoffs. Again, do I think it'll affect much? I don't, not really, because I mean, the, the best teams are going to win at the end of the day. Like Matt said for our last topic, like th- this whole offensive thing and like, or like this whole lack of defense is not really affecting who's winning. Like it's consistently similar teams that are good, you know, throughout years and years. So it's like, it's not really affecting much. And I, I feel like, team sitting players it's not, not going to affect much either i mean it, it may affect them being rusty in the playoffs or whatever like that but it's i mean it, it, it's the nba so it's like these guys are kind of always ready to go um and and especially with this happening more often now i think it's gonna i think players are gonna become used to it and they're just kind of gonna like know that okay well you know once i i, I can take off a few weeks and then come back and be just as good. Um, I, I don't think that it's it, it's really gonna affect much but like matt said i think if anything it, it does affect 
the viewership and and people going to the games not being able to see their favorite players that kind of sucks and just as matt said i haven't i've never been to an nba game and so i would you know i've never really had that experience of going to an nba game and wanting to see a certain player and then not seeing him because he was sitting i haven't had that experience but i can imagine that that's a very um very bad feeling so you know i i kind of feel for people in that sense but that's all that we have for today for the nba uh let's move right into college basketball now so like Matt said, we're going to kind of give a, a little bit of a state of the game here. Um, we're, you know, we're mid, well, I guess kind of coming up on the, on the end of January now. So we're about two months out of the NCAA tournament and I can't wait. It's, it's two months away. Two months feels like way too much time, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've got some pretty interesting teams in the top 25. Uh, we've got Florida Atlantic who I think has never been in the top 25 and I think they're like top well, the next re- I think next week's rankings they'll be top 18 or something like that. I think I think right now they're 24 uh or like 21 or something like that, but then uh I think they just got another win. So they're 19 and 1 I believe at this point or no, maybe maybe 18 and 1, something like that. So, yeah, they're a team that that is in the top 25 that has never been has never been there before. The team that I want to talk about first here to start off this topic and I I think we can kind of just go back and forth Matt and I I think we're just going to kind of talk about teams that we see in the top 25 that are either overrated or underrated we're just going to kind of take it how it goes but the first thing I'm going to talk about here is Kansas State um, and I'm just going to give a little bit of background on them so essentially before the season started in the preseason rankings or the preseason predictions Kansas State was supposed to finish last in the big in the big 12 this season and that's kind of warranted because last year they had a total of 14 wins, didn't make the NCAA tournament, obviously. And right. They finished the season with 14 wins, um, which is, which there's like 32 ish, 33 games played in a college basketball season. So that's, that's pretty well under half of, of the games that they lost. So they were below 500 last season and coming into the season, nobody was expecting them to do anything. They've already won 16 games. They're 16 and two. So they've already surpassed their, win total uh for last season and it's basically just ha- just over halfway through the the middle of the season or halfway just over halfway through the season this year and they've already surpassed their their win total last year by two games this season so they just had a huge win over Kansas uh on Tuesday night which in that game um let me give you a little stat here Kansas went i think 3 for 26 from the three point line so and they they lost by one in overtime, I'm pretty sure. So it's like Kansas probably should have won that game if they would have made one more three. You know, if, if they would have gotten four from t- four for 26 from the three point line, they still would have won, which is kind of scary to think about. But Kansas State nonetheless came out on top. Um, and so they've been I'm, they've been one of the most storied teams this, you know, this whole season. I think that in order to talk about a state of the game for college basketball right now, you've got to mention Kansas State. Um, I don't know how they're going to fare for the rest of the season. I hope that they do well. I always love seeing underdogs kind of, you know, have have almost like a Cinderella season. You know, everybody talks about Cinderella stories in the tournament, but there are teams like this that that just go off in the regular season that nobody thought were gonna was gonna be good before the season. Um, and so I, I think Kansas State is a perfect example of that. Matt, if you have a team that you want to mention, go ahead. I mean, I'll, I guess I'll just take on TCU because 
I mean, it's really, they kind of are similar teams, right? Where you don't think they're going to be good. They kind of come into the season. It's like, okay, what's this team going to be? And they just end up like winning on the road against ranked teams and like all this crazy stuff. Um, so TCU, same deal. They, I mean, they've had a great season so far. They're actually in the AP poll right now, looking at it. Hayden, Hayden was talking about Kansas state, Kansas state's number 13. TCU is number 14. It's so funny too, because we talked about them in, you know, during the football season, all you know, the whole time, obviously TCU made to the college football championship. They also played Kansas state and TCU played in the big 12 championship for football. So these two, teams are just kind of coming out of the woodworks in, in both football and basketball and really showing their stuff. Um, and, and, you know, likewise, TCU was a team that beat Kansas State, right? So, you know, I mean, it was at home, but but still, like, they've had good wins. They've beaten Baylor. Um, they actually just beat Kansas on the road by 23 points, too, that game. I was waiting for that game to go final. It was so funny. We were talking about the NBA and everything. So as you're reporting this podcast, I'm watching this absolute onslaught of TCU as they beat Kansas at Kansas, which is a very, very tough place to win. Uh, so number two, Kansas, who was 16 and one coming into the week, they lose to Kansas state and TCU. So I think it's completely fitting that we're talking about both these teams to start the, uh, the college basketball segment here. Because it really is like these two teams, Kansas State and TCU, look out for them, man. Jamie Dixon is the coach of TCU. He actually used to coach Pitt. So Pittsburgh, way back in the day, like when the old Big East was still here, Pittsburgh always had great teams and they were, you know, they were always top of the Big East. They were always, you know, a, a two or three seed in, college, in, uh, in March Madness. They'd go so far in the tournament. He eventually it, it kind of ran out of pit. The biggies kind of kind of you know got got rid of itself too. And then he kind of started back up at TCU, a, a kind of a random team in the Big 12 that wasn't ever really good when he started there. And, and now we can see the kind of you know how he's turned around the program uh into into what it is now. So I, I'd love to give, you know, I, I'm I think it's great that we're kind of giving love to two of these, you know, middle of pack Big 12 teams that really weren't supposed to do anything this year and are just coming out of out of nowhere and having so much success. And I think that, that also speaks to at large. The success of the Big 12, I mean, the Big 12 is, you can't be talking about college basketball right now without talking about how good the Big 12 is as a conference. Um, I, I mean, I think seven of the 10 teams are ranked right now. Uh, Iowa State is is number 12 in the AP poll right now. So we have number 12, 13, and 14 are all, you know, crazy teams that kind of came out of nowhere in the Big 12, but are winning really, you know, really great games and, 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 and actually showing that they are kind of here to here to stay. Um, and then obviously, you know, you have like your Texas and Baylor and, and Kansas too, in the big 12 who are all ranked and all doing really well uh, in, in addition to kind of the, the, the littler guys that we wanted to shout out. But I think that was, that was the point is that, you know, that's what we're here to do. You know, first time rundown, you know, me, I'm always shouting out the little guys. So Iowa state, Kansas state and TCU um, really kind of coming out of nowhere in the big 12, but showing that the big 12 is a very, you know, very successful conference, probably and definitely the, best conference in college basketball right now but I love the competition that we do have and the teams that are kind of just you know right they weren't really expected to be this good but it just shows that college basketball it's always there's always parity in college basketball which is what we love to see yeah exactly the next team I want to talk about is UCLA now UCLA isn't really a smaller team and and you know they're they're in the Pac-12 the Pac-12 has been really really good in recent years, UCLA has also been really good in recent years. But the reason I'm mentioning them, mentioning them is I'm pretty sure they they lost Johnny Juzang to uh, I believe it was last year. I don't even really know what happened. Like, I don't know what NBA team he went to, even if he went to the an NBA team. But he was he was like one of the best players in college basketball. I Again, I should have I should have looked him up for this episode because uh, I knew I was going to talk about UCLA because I really like UCLA this year. They're a weird team because. In past years, they've kind of been known for their offense. They have Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez, and Johnny Juzang was part of that kind of trio of players in past years that just 
scored nonstop. Like they were just so good offensively this year. UCLA is surprisingly bad offensively, but they're so good defensively. And I was, I was watching like a, I think it was an interview recently. I think it was the build up to this Arizona game, which is actually happening right now. And I think UCLA is within three points of Arizona. The, the second half just started, but it's a pretty big game because Arizona is currently, currently ranked number 11 UCLA is five. So, you know, whoever wins this game between Arizona and UCLA will probably be will definitely be top 10. I mean, UCLA might even move up in the ranks from five. So UCLA this year is a very defensive team. They don't have the offensive firepower that they had in the past. I think most of that was because of Johnny Juzang leaving. But the thing is that UCLA is one of those teams, and this happens all the time in the tournament. I feel like teams that like seem like they should be down by a lot in a game where you're watching the game and you're like, eh, yeah, this, you know, this, this team just can't really get it going. They can't get anything going offensively but they're still within, you know, that kind of like three to five point range. I think teams like that are super, super dangerous when it comes to March. And again, UCLA, if they can keep this up, which I don't know if they can, like some of their wins have been kind of lucky that they beat Washington state, I think by one point uh, a couple of weeks or a few weeks ago. So it's just, it's games like that, that kind of scare you. You're going to have games like that all the time with, you know, with any good team, like they're going to have a slip up here and there where they only beat, uh, a pretty bad team by, you know, one or two points, but I think UCLA has been a little bit, a little bit scary in terms of their scoring this season, but I do like them as kind of like a, as kind of a, um, you know, a, a sleeper pick, I guess in, um, in March, because I do think that they might regress a little bit going into March. I don't know if they're going to be ranked in the top five. They may not, may not even be ranked in the top 10 when it comes time for March. I wouldn't be surprised if they do kind of slide a little bit and, and let a couple games go and, and lose a couple more games than they have in this kind of first half of the season. Uh, but I do like, I love UCLA as, um, as a team. I love Ty. I mean, Tiger Campbell, he's like one of the most popular guys in college basketball right now. He has been for the past couple of years. And then Jaime Hawkins, I mean, he wears his headband and has that flowy hair and it's just, I don't know. I, I love watching their, their team play. Um, they're obviously, you know, they're obviously high in the ranks now, like I said, but I think once the, once the playing field kind of starts to even out more in the, you know, in the future, I do see them kind of sliding, but they are a team. I think you should watch out for. I think they're a really fun team to watch again. It's a lot of defense, but um, you know, but they're, but I think that that's kind of cool to watch because I'm also, I go to UVA and our team's defense is kind of like one of the best in the country. So um, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm that's my spiel on UCLA. Matt, you can go ahead with any more teams you got. Yeah, I'm probably going to do a, a kind of a collection of teams here from the SEC. I think the SEC has kind of come on as, you know, a few years ago, the SEC was an afterthought overall. Like none of the teams were good, basically, except Kentucky. Obviously, Kentucky's kind of always been the top of the SEC, one of the top teams in college basketball historically. Um, the ironic part is, though, Kentucky actually sucks this year. Uh, they're, it's, just, it's just bad all around. They're, you know, they, I think they lost to... Now, see, now I'm not going to look through their entire team history here, but um, they had horrible losses. They're not even ready. They started the season ranked number five. Obviously, they have a good recruiting class. They always have one of the top tier, top tier recruiting classes because John Carapari, that's kind of his sell, right? He's like, I'm going to play five freshmen. I'm going to play five, you know, freshman All-Americans every single year on my team. You're going to get drafted to the NBA. Come to Cal come to Kentucky. You'll have one good year of college. You'll be able to show your stuff. NBA scouts are going to look at you. They're going to, you know, love what they see and they're going to draft you. Um, so it's not even really a, hey, I'm building a college basketball program. It's more of like, this is what the program is. 
come here. You're a freshman. You don't ex- you're not expected to stay. You're going to get noticed and you're, and you're going to be drafted. You're going to make a ton of money in the NBA. Um, and, and that really has worked up until really the past couple of years. Um, I think two years ago, they went nine and 16 in the regular season or, or nine and 18 or something like that. This year, it's honestly more of the same. Uh, and, and it's, and it's just kind of, interesting because of how you know right the the recruits that he's getting are really good but i think that like honestly i think like the semi-pro stuff with the you know the 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 g league affiliates and all that with the nba has really taken a lot of those top tier recruits uh from high school who aren't necessarily going to college anymore they're kind of just getting paid for a year or two to play that way they're become eligible and they're able to be drafted right so i think kentucky's kind of fallen into that trap a little bit where they're not getting the best recruits uh, in the country anymore, because you don't really have to go to college anymore if you, if you don't want to. So, um, but enough about Kentucky, because I think it's, it's too much has been made about it. Um, and, and they're not going to make the tournament or hopefully they don't. And we can just kind of have other teams uh, to, to praise like Alabama, who it kind of sucks that we're going from Kentucky. Who's always good in the sec to of course, Alabama, who's like the best football team of the past couple, you know, 20 years and only going to continue to be great there. And now they're great in basketball too. They're freshmen. Brandon Miller, especially, he's like their best player by far. And he's been going off in like every single game. He's kind of the reason that they are ranked number four in the country at 15 and two. Um, and, and I think a real contender to win the college basketball championship, win March Madness this year, uh, Alabama is. And so I think that, you know, they kind of suffer the same mentality as a Kentucky team, which is a lot, to- a lot of times led by freshmen who, you know, if they gel really well together, it, it can be amazing. You can win a championship, but if you kind of start getting selfish or, you know, things get start to fall apart and you, you haven't really had enough time to gel as a team because basketball is, you know, just as much as any sport, a team sport, sometimes it can lead to, you know, lead to some problems. So I think that Alabama is going to be really set from here on out, but it'll be interesting to see if, you know, later on in conference play, once we get to the conference tournament, are they going to be able to really kind of turn their success into, you know, lasting success, which is, can you really get hot at the right time in March? Um, so that'll be interesting for Alabama and the, kind of the third team here, Tennessee, um, just a really interesting it just, it's, they're, they're always just really interesting. They're always like, you know, kind of, they're always ranked. They're always ranked, you know, high right now. They're number nine in the AP poll. Um, they had a good win over a Mississippi state team on the road this past week. So they'll probably still be in the top 10 once the new AP poll comes out next week. But you have that loss to Kentucky by like 17 points at home, which is like, if we're trying to change guard here, where Alabama and Tennessee are taking over the sec in basketball and football and everything, but then for some reason, Kentucky, who has been horrible this year, comes out of the woodworks and absolutely throttles Tennessee at Tennessee. It's like, can we please just move on? Like, you got to win these games, Tennessee. And and obviously, Tennessee Tennessee's coach, Rick Barnes, he was very successfully won a na- national championship at Texas when he was there. Uh, that was a while ago at this point. But he has very – he's had – I mean, he's built this Tennessee program up to what it is now. It's just like the argument of can they actually win the games that are the most important? And it seems like as of right now, not really, right? Their 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 losses are are to good teams, sure. But like if you are in March and you're trying to make a run in the NCAA tournament, trying to go to the final four and whatever it may be, you're going to have to play good teams and you're gonna to have to win those games. And we've just seen them like the past three or four years, they've been a two seed or a three seed every single year, and they lose to that other two or three seed on their side of the bracket, and they've never kind of been able to get over the hump and get to the final four. So can they do it this year? I don't really, I don't know. I mean, I just, they haven't proved it to me so far because they kind of keep having these big games and they keep kind of losing these big games. Uh, and then one more is Arkansas. So they've just been a really interesting team. They've actually gotten to the elite eight the past two years. So two years in a row, they've gotten to the elite eight. Um, they beat Gonzaga last year as a four seed, you know, over the number one overall seed, you know, just a great story. Eric Musselman, their coach um, is, is an amazing coach. 
Arkansas, though, was kind of going in the opposite direction. You'd expect them to, I think they started 12 and 1 or maybe 11 and 0, 10 and 0, something like that. They were in the top 10. They're now number 25. They're 12 and 5 overall, and they're 1 and 5 in the SEC. So once they got to conference play, everything has fallen apart for this Arkansas team. I think because they've shown me that they can actually make a run when it comes to the SEC tournament, as well as March Madness, that they can keep doing it, right? But the problem is at this point, they got to start winning games or else they might not even make it to the tournament. I still, I mean, they're obviously they're number 25. They're going to make it to the tournament as of now, but if their start to the SEC is anything like what the rest of their SEC schedule will, you know, will turn out to be, I don't have much faith in Arkansas, which is sad because they are, you know, they have such a good coach. They have such good players. Nick Smith is a big guy down low and he's going to be drafted really high in the NBA this year. So if they can turn it around in the SEC play, I think Arkansas is going to be okay. But, you know, one of those teams that you want to see do really well, but just, you know, kind of on a slide as of, uh, as of thus far, Hayden. Your turn. Uh, I'll turn it over to you. You said you want to talk about Purdue a little bit. Um, obviously, they're number three in the country. They got a big guy up there leading the charge. What do you got in Purdue this season so far? Yeah, so that big guy is named Zach Eady, and he's one of the most dominant, if not the most dominant player in college basketball right now, maybe other than Oscar Sheepway. Those were the two guys that I was going to talk about next. Um, I wasn't going to really talk about a team other than UVA. I might give a little bit on UVA after I talk about these guys, but these guys are kind of the priority here. Oscar Shibway and Zach Eady, this is this talk may be a little bit kind of inflated because of recent events. Uh, so if you don't know, in Kentucky's game against Georgia, uh, I, I think it was I can't remember. I think it was Wednesday. It was sometime this past week, like midweek ish uh, in their game against Georgia. Oscar Shibway, Matt mentioned him. He's the guy down low for Kentucky. Um, he's pretty much the backbone of that team and has been for the past couple of years. In their last game against Georgia, he had uh, 34 points and 20, no, 37 points and 24 rebounds, which it's like, that's a stat line that you never see in college basketball. In the NBA, like fine. I mean, 24 rebounds is still a lot. That's that's quite a lot. But uh, I mean, you, you almost never see 37 points either. And uh, he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's a dominant player. Now, if you look at his stats overall, I think he averages 17 points on the season and 13 rebounds or something like that, which... If you look at that, you might be like, okay, that's a little bit average. I mean, he's, he's averaging a double double, which in and again in college, I mean, college basketball, that's still really good. Um, and then you got a guy like Zach Eady, who I think he averages twenty one points and just around thirteen rebounds as well. Zach Eady, if you don't know, he's like seven foot three, so he kind of, I mean, <laughs> kind of gets every single rebound that is there, and he doesn't really need to work too hard to uh, just kind of tip it over anybody down low for you know to, to to score points but yeah i mean like both of these guys are just are just crazy crazy good and like they're they're the type of guys that can make that can just take over march um again i, I keep on talking about the tournament because i'm super excited for it but that's i mean that's kind of i mean that's what people wait for with with college basketball that's what people are you know watch college basketball for and so when i'm watching teams right now i'm watching for teams that have something in their team that I see working in March. And so those are kind of just two guys. Again, like Matt said, Kentucky, like probably won't even make the tournament at this point. They've had a couple of good wins. I think they beat Tennessee as well. Um, and I mean, Tennessee is pretty highly ranked as well. So, I mean, we could see them kind of make a run in the SEC, maybe in the SEC tournament and maybe even like possibly somehow win the SEC tournament against there. There's a lot of other, a lot of other really good teams in the SEC, but I mean, you never know that uh, conference tournaments in, in college basketball are, are always crazy. So you could, could see something with them. Um, but again, be, these two guys are like, they've almost changed the whole culture of what it means to be a dominant player in college basketball. They're, they're two guys that are down low um, or that play down low. It's like, 
a lot of times you hear of of guards, you know, Kansas guards. Uh, you hear of guards that play for, um, you know, like like Duke and everything like that. So you hear of the guys that can shoot the three well a lot of times, but these two guys are are guys that are down low that you know are in the trenches, are are physical, and they win games like that, or they at least they you know try to carry their team to to win games like that. So again, just keep an eye out for those guys um, for the rest of the season. And then quick little thing on UVA here. This is gonna be my last team because uh, you know we're we're both UVA guys, so got to mention them a little bit. UVA has been a little bit weird this season. They started out eight and zero, and then they, I think they lost. Uh, we lost two straight, uh, and then yeah, we've kind of just been fluctuating and kind of like in and out of the top ten ever since. I think we're going to be out of the top ten. Well, right now I think we are number ten, but then we just beat Virginia Tech, uh, which was a pretty good win. It's our rival, and actually Steph Curry was at that game, and it was in Charlottesville. I didn't get to go to the game. A bunch of my friends were there, and they all like took videos of Steph Curry courtside, which was pretty cool, but. But yeah, we, I mean, we've, we have a pretty good team. We just lack big men. And I feel like that's kind of what we usually lack. Uh, I mean, we've had guys like Jack Salt in the, you know, in the past, who was like seven foot one. Um, and then we have, we have one guy, he's, he played a lot last year, Francisco Cafaro. He's our seven footer, but he doesn't really play much this year. Uh, we, we got a, a few four-star freshmen coming in. I think a couple of them are red shirting. So we'll have those guys next year, but this is kind of like a, I mean, we're going to make the tournament this year. Uh, we should be pretty good here in the ACC down the stretch. I, I At least I hope so. But um, we're definitely going to be a tournament team. But I don't know if this year is our year. But I, next year, I'm just saying, I'm going to put this out here right now. Look for UVA to be very, very good next year if Reese Beekman stays. He's he's our best guard. Um, I may, Maybe other than Kihei Clark. But Reese Beekman is one of the best defensive player, is players in the country. He was last year, too. Uh, he might go... Like he'll he'll probably if he does get drafted after this season, if he goes does go to the NBA draft, he's getting drafted solely because of his defensive play. Like he is absolute clamps on defense. So that's just a little bit on UVA. Um, again, don't really look for them to do much in the tournament. I don't expect, but you never know down the, down the second half of the season. You never never really know what's going to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, so UVA is number ten right now, as Hayden was saying, um, but realistically almost half the teams in the top 10 have lost at some point this week and UVA they beat has Hayden mentioned they beat tech um earlier this week they're actually playing Wake Forest right now they were I'm, I'm just checking the score here they were winning 42 32 at halftime but Wake's come back a little bit and made it a five-point game so gonna be a little tough obviously if they lose that game it, it won't be good for the rankings purpose but if UVA pulls that game out at Wake uh let's just kind of I'm just gonna kind of go through the teams in front of them Tennessee's number nine they've won both their games this week they'll kind of stay up in front of in front of UVA Xavier's number eight they lost to DePaul uh Texas is number seven they lost their first game earlier this week against Iowa State they're playing West Virginia tonight at West Virginia and I think West Virginia is gonna win that game so Texas might have two losses they'll go down Gonzaga lost at home to Loyola Marymount a couple days ago. UCLA is on the ropes. They're gonna they're losing by 12 right now at, at Arizona. So I think Arizona's gonna win that game. And then Kansas obviously has lost twice uh, since the release of this uh, the AP poll last year. So that's one, two, Xavier, Texas, Gonzaga, UCLA, and Kansas. That's five teams in the top five or the top 10 that are all in front of UVA that are all at least suffering at least one loss this this uh this week. So if UVA can pull this out this game against Wake, I wouldn't, I wouldn't 
wouldn't put it past UVA being, you know, maybe five or six coming up here uh, in the next rankings next week, which is pretty cool. Last couple teams I'm going to get after here. I've kind of gone conference by conference a little bit um, is the big East, right? So the big East is kind of, there's not a, you know, they're not a power five conference by, by nature because there's not a big East, um, you know, football conference, but the big East is kind of just comprised of those Northeast teams that don't really have football teams. You know, your Seton halls, your Marquettes of the world uh, or, or, or teams that where your, your football team is horrible, you know, like, like UConn. So, Going over the Big East a little bit, obviously UConn is technically still, well, I guess they're not even still the, the number one team in the Big East. That would technically be Xavier. Um, UConn started out amazing. I think they started out 15-0. and um, They were number one in the country at one point. They've lost, I think, five of their last six games. They've lost to bad teams too, like, you know, St. John's. They've lost to, obviously, they lost to Marquette as well. So they just had some kind of some, some unlucky, I, I, well... I don't even know if it's unlucky because they just look bad in their losses, right? So they were number one in the country. They're now down to number 15. Um, they're, I think they're number two, number three. Maybe number three or four in the Big East right now. Um, Xavier's number eight, but as I just said, they lost to DePaul um, this past week. So, you know, Xavier's going to jump down. Uh, and then you have kind of rounding out the edge of the rankings in the top 25, but also kind of the, you know, the teams I think that'll make a run for the Big East here at the, as we near the end of the season are both Marquette and Providence. Obviously, Providence made a big splash last year. Um, you know, they, they were, people said they were the luckiest team in the country, whatever. They won the Big East tournament. Um, they went in the tournament ranked number, well, they, they were a four seed and they lost to the event champion Kansas okay in March Madness so Providence they have a good team you know back this year but I'm looking at Marquette I, I've kind of always had a I don't know why I've had a soft spot for Marquette pretty much ever since I was just really young I don't know why um and and they've had some good ish teams over the years but they haven't actually won a tournament game since I think 2012 or something but guess who they do have as their coach right now it's Shaka Smart who coached at VCU which obviously me and Hayden live like you know 10 minutes away from VCU they went to the final four under Shaka Smart he you know got the big promotion went to Texas was there for I think five or six years and it never really worked out I don't even think he won a tournament game when he was at Texas um he left Texas and now he's at Marquette which I think is a great fit for him we can see that the way that they're playing their offenses I think they're number one in the offense in, in the country um right now is Marquette so Kind of just watch out for Marquette to make a big run here. And then last team in the Big in the Big East that I'm going to get to is Creighton. Horrible. I hate the, the fact that Creighton just always does this. They were ranked number eight to start the season. And obviously you don't see that they're, they're not even getting votes to be in the top 20, top, top 25 right now. I think they're 10 and eight. They just suffered like, and they've been, I think, one of the most unlucky teams in college basketball where they have two big guys. They're kind of playing at the same time. I, I think they're going to be able to pull it together. They were at a tournament in Maui earlier this season. They looked amazing. Um, and, but as of right now, they're not probably not going to be in the tournament, but I do think that if any team is to make a huge run towards the end of the conference season here into March and, and obviously have a chance to win the big East championship, it's going to be Creighton. So that's a team that's not really ranked right now being really underrated. I think if they can just kind of, you know, string together a few wins here, which I did think they, I think they, they had a good win. I can't remember if it was over Xavier or UConn um, earlier this week, they can string together some wins here. I think they'll, they'll finish the season out strong and really have a chance to actually, you know, go far in the biggest championship, may even win the biggest championship to end the season here um and and i think can make a run in march if uh if if they get there <laughs> but um just wanted to shout out some underrated teams that i think kind of especially in the big east a, team, a conference that looked really strong to start the season but is kind of struggling especially where their top teams are losing right with xavier and, and uconn kind of losing both their games this week is it's not a good look for the conference right now but i think that the the you know kind of the the, the third through six teams ranked in the big east up there um are gonna are gonna i think be able to make a run here marquette providence seton hall it's also a good team so um look for the big east to make a little bit of a run here and and obviously now that villanova's gone we kind of have nobody's taking the, the taking the the conference by storm so uh we got to have some representatives here from the big east do 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 some work here when it comes to march time 
All right. Well, let's move into a little ESPN notification nonsense segment to end off this episode. So if you guys don't know, if you guys haven't been with us before uh, during during an episode where we have this segment, it's called ESPN notification nonsense because we basically just go over uh, ESPN notifications that Matt gets and which have no title. I mean, which have like no bolded title. You know, you, you see the, you see the notifications that have the bolded title and have like the alert or whatever. But these are notifications that just pop up and they have like it's almost like fine print writing. And um, they're a lot of times they're very surprising and they should have a title, but they don't. And it's a lot of times it's just like very wild stuff that you feel like should be a bigger deal than they're actually making it. So. We're going to list off four here. I'm going to go first uh, with this one. So this notification said, quote, Live Golf COO, so Chief of Operations, Atul Kosla steps down after one year, dash New York Times. Um, this one, I think this one is pretty, again, these are all from Matt. So I, I have no idea, like, you know, the context going in. And no, nobody does because nobody yeah, had, yeah, that, that's there the is point. no context. Yeah, that's the point of the, the yeah. segment is the fact that like, I don't know where along the line that I signed up for these notifications, but I get them and they have no context associated with it. That's why, yeah. and I write it out on the document. I write it out at like word for word, punctuation mark for punctuation mark, what I read from my phone, because I'm like, some of these things obviously have a, you know, have have some meaning and 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 can provide some context. We'll get to the little bit of those later on um, that are kind of just, you know, stating facts here. But some of them are just like, completely random like stuff that nobody's heard about and stuff that is just it's interesting and we can kind of theorize on it but the fact that there's no context makes it all the more funny yeah exactly so i think this one's a, a pretty good example of that also i mean I, I think it's pretty important because live golf is kind of like you know i mean seen as maybe not the future of golf but it's i mean it, it's it's got some people have strong opinions about it either good or bad mostly bad but Right. It's like, it's like, dude, this is, this is the chief of operations that stepped down after one year, after doing it for one year. So obviously there's something going wrong, um, but nobody's really talking about it because maybe because people don't want to talk about it. I don't know, but it, yeah, this was, this was kind of an interesting one. Um, also the New York times for some reason has, I don't know. I think that they've kind of upped their game with, uh, with sports, like, like in the sports world, I see a lot of New York times articles pop up um, like pretty high in Google searches when I search for, things that I'm trying to research for the podcast. So uh, props to New York times, but yes, again, not much context for this one. Well, and, and I think the other interesting part, which we actually got news of earlier this week, a couple of days ago, which I didn't include here because we've kind of already had this topic going, but also it was, I think, more nationally received is that they live, actually live golf, signed a TV contract with the CW. Hey, do you know what the CW channel is? It's like, yeah, no. you see it like it's I think it's it's in between like Fox and CBS on like the channel dial script, but it's like the it's it's a channel that I think was popular a while ago, whatever, but they show they have shows on there that are like from the 70s like it's like the most <laughs> old people thing channel and it's like the most random channel I think a lot of places don't even get like I have YouTube TV at my house right now I don't even think I get the CW as a channel so it's like interesting how they're now again too. live golf is sponsored by you know the the Saudi Arabian you know, leaders and, and countries and whatever. And if you want to be associated with that, you can, it's a little political and everything like that. So it's kind of like ESPN is not going to come out and just make a deal with the Saudis for this, you know, for this golf league, but it's, it's just interesting. This whole thing is just like weird. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's going to be, I, I think it's still yet to be seen what the success of live golf will be, but we're going to get another season here to kind of figure everything out. So the next uh, ESPN notification that I wrote down here is that the Heat, the Miami Heat, list all 16 players on injury on the injury report ahead of Saturday's game against the Spurs uh, hours after a $25,000 injury reporting fine. 
period. No context, no whatsoever. This was also, this was like a month ago. So they didn't play the Spurs this Saturday. Um, but I think this was really funny because as any, well, if you don't know, Pat Riley is the general manager and president and CEO and everything of the Miami Heat. He is what brought, you know, the whole Shaq and, and D Wade to Miami. He brought LeBron and, and Chris Bosh and that whole thing to Miami when they won three state finals and all that stuff. And, and he's he's just a legend when it comes to um, the NBA and, and just basketball in general recently. And I think this is him just kind of just completely being a jerk on purpose. The fact that I don't know what they did to receive this $25,000 injury reporting fine. Maybe that was one of those things where they were purposely resting their players and, and they got fined for it and that for somehow they, however they listed their injury report or whatever was incorrect or, or deemed, um, you know, insufficient by the league or whatever, which at this point, like the heat is not a, not a team that really should be resting their players because they're actually very much underachieving this year. We didn't talk about them in the NBA segment or the, uh, yeah, the NBA segment segment earlier, but I think they're like number six or seven and like, they'll still probably make the playoffs, but they had, they, I mean, they got the number one seed last year. They were supposed to be really good and they haven't been. So I'm thinking like, if they're not doing their injury reporting correctly why are they getting fired like like if they're arresting their play first of all they shouldn't be arresting the players in the first place and if they are how are they you know reporting it wrongly to get a $25,000 fine and then it's just so funny the fact that they get they because of that he goes all right whatever you're gonna find us $25,000 we're gonna list all 16 of our players on the active roster as an injured you know as on the injury report um against one random Saturday game against the Spurs in the middle of January all right this third one uh third out of four notifications this one is this one's probably like the funniest or maybe not so funny because it's kind of dangerous but uh it goes quote argentina's world cup team nearly knocked off parade bus comma transferred to helicopters due to oversized crowd now if you saw okay if you saw videos of the crowds that were in the streets of argentina for like days and weeks after they had their world cup win which which is pretty warranted um you would probably understand this but Again, actually, if you've seen a video of that, you probably are looking at that and like, how would a bus drive through that? Because it, I mean, everybody like it, it was absolutely packed. People were like on top of lampposts, just like standing on and sitting on top of lampposts, <laughs> risking their lives like from very dangerous heights just to kind of like be above the crowd and not have to be in the swarm of people and I guess get more attention that way. But yeah, it was like. I think I actually saw a video of buses trying to move through, like vehicles trying to move through the crowds. And it was just, it was impossible. So this makes a lot of sense, but it's also like, how did that work? How did, how were, like, did the helicopters fly very low over the crowd? Like how, how are they even able to see the play? I mean, I I feel like half of the reason of having a parade after a championship win or after a, um, I guess in this case, after a world cup win, like, you know, the, NBA champions and NFL champions also have parades where they drive through. It's like, it's like a thing that you do after you win a championship or a finals or whatever. The the point of the whole point of that is so that the people can kind of like see the players and be close to the players and celebrate with them. But then when you move them to helicopters, it's like it, they're kind of like untouchable at that point. Like you can't even really, I don't know. You can't even really celebrate with them. Uh, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of hard to celebrate in a helicopter because a lot of noise too so um yeah that was it's it was i mean i guess it was the right thing to do because right they were put in a lot of danger being on those buses and almost being not not like think about how many people it takes to knock over a bus (laughs) you know what i'm saying it's like dude how like people are crazy dude it's 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 kind of nuts but um but i mean i guess yeah i mean people in argentina were just going like absolutely ballistic after this win which is which is cool to see but yeah it's just still kind of scary 
Well, I think, yeah, I, I think this, this one kind of speaks to how insane it was for Argentina to win, how much their country supported their team in winning and, and just the amount of people that came out to support them and, and, and cheer them on. Um, I think that's kind of the, the, well, at least the takeaway that I'm having. It is funny that like they almost knocked over the bus um, and that now you kind of can't celebrate with the team because you almost knocked over the bus. But at the same time, it really proves that like how how much that won, that, how much that win meant to the country um, and how much they were able to support their team in doing so. So the last one that we have here, which has got, definitely gotten some some traction um, since since I got this, at least, because I think they actually signed the deal is YouTube TV emergence as the front runner for NFL's Sunday ticket package of out-of-market games. This is essentially... So there was kind of two rival competing television programs that would show essentially all the games that you could watch in NFL Sundays. So there was NFL Sunday Ticket, which is DirecTV. That was actually brought to life, I think, 10, 15 years ago. And then NFL Red Zone came out probably maybe five years ago um, as kind of a rival for, for the whole Sunday Ticket deal. And NFL Red I prefer NFL Red Zone. I think most people watch it more just because most people don't have direct TV, direct TV. But the cool part about this is the fact that YouTube TV actually offers offers NFL Red Zone. That's how I watch it now. And they also just bought NFL Sunday Ticket. So I don't know if that's going to be like they're buying out the competition of NFL Sunday Ticket. I don't know if they're going to have two both of them are just going to run on YouTube TV or if they're going to have some sort of combination of, okay, we're going to do, you know, NFL Red Zone slash Sunday ticket where, because the, so the, the difference is though, at least NFL Red Zone shows the team, shows every score, right? So all the teams that are in scoring position, every team that's in the red zone, which is where the, the name come from, they're going to show that team, right? They're going to show the drive. They're going to show the score. They're going to show everything when teams are about to score. NFL Sunday ticket is different because it allows you to watch essentially what it says here out of market games, which is like, if you are, you know, what, right. Me and Hayden live in Virginia. Like we see a lot of the NFC East, right? So we see the red, the commanders and the Cowboys and the giants and the Eagles. And, you know, the Panthers are also there in Charlotte. So they're close enough to us. So we see the Panthers a lot too, but like teams, you know, if you wanted to watch the, the NFC West where, you know, the Rams are playing the Seahawks and you want to watch that game, you were able to on Sunday NFL ticket because you're allowed to watch that game for like on, in real time when it's playing and you can watch the entire game. And if red zone, you can't even do that. You You'll be able to see the score from the Rams and the Seahawks and anytime that there is a score in that game, but you can't see like every single second of that game that's being played where a Sunday ticket allows you that availability. So I don't know if this is going to be like two side-by-side kind of programs where, okay, you know, you can have both of them. You can, if you wanted to watch the Jaguars and the Texans play their entire game, you know, from start to finish, you can watch that on, on the Sunday ticket version of it. Or if they're going to have some sort of combination where, okay, you know, this is a, this is a service that we offer, you know, maybe you pay like five bucks for red zone and you pay 10 bucks for, for a Sunday ticket. I don't know how they're going to do it, but at least is interesting that kind of YouTube TV are in the rights to this and they're, and they're kind of buying everything out of the market. Now, have kind of the market capitalization to be able to do whatever they want with it. So we'll see what happens with the whole red zone Sunday ticket thing going forward. That's exactly right. All right. Well, with that being said, that rounds out today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Nice little Saturday episode. Um, Again, not talking about football. I think this is probably the first episode that we haven't had any football talks since August. So it's like, this is a, this is a pretty big milestone here for, uh, for first down rundown Um, kind of going into the football off season, which kind of, Sucks a little bit, but again, we still got we still got some playoff football to talk about, and obviously Super Bowl coming up in February. But then after that, yeah, it's just straight NBA, college basketball, NHL. So um, be prepared for that. Again, that's kind of a what's coming up here in a little bit. Um, expect a, an episode from us again on Tuesday. Again, we're gonna try to we're gonna try to get these two episodes a week out. Again, it's it's not going to be every single week that we get two episodes out, but that will be the goal at least for the time being. While school for me is still kind of 
at a low pace. It's going to pick up pace in a few weeks here. So I know it'll be kind of tough to do that towards towards that time of year. But that's just that's that's just the nature of it all. Um, we appreciate you guys for listening. If you're still listening to this now, then I think you're a pretty avid fan of First Down Rundown. Go follow the Twitter. It's First Down RD Pod. Uh, we're starting to post more on that as well. Trying to post at least, um, you know, at least like a, a few times a week. Um, you know, every episode I'm I'm trying to get up on Twitter and kind of just trying to get our, our trying to get more notoriety for us um, out there on on the Twitter space and the social media world. So yeah, definitely do that. Go follow the Twitter. Um, we'll we'll follow you back. But that to say the least, it's we'll probably be following like the first hundred followers back. And we only have eight i think right now so hey you can be one of the first hundred followers and you can get a follow back so again thank you guys for listening thank you guys um you know for for tuning in week in and week out and we will catch you guys in our next episode early next week